Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Oh, good morning, and I'm getting closer to Pesach and Shabbos Hagadol. What a great time to... Uh to come together and talk about what's happening. You like to raise the anxiety level in the Jewish community, I see, by using the Pesach word one week before the holiday. By the way, next week you're going to be in a different time zone, am I correct? Uh, Next week I'll be in a different time zone, so we will not be on. Whoa! So we can't even wake you up early to join us for an era of Pesach weekly update. Well, you are declaring you are declaring a Oh, you'll be on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> you had to ruin my dramatic presentation by telling us you'll be on a plane. So that's the story. It's not that Malcolm wouldn't wake up early, it's that he's going to be inaccessible. So this essentially would be our final weekly update before Passover. That's true. I don't I see so, I see you're not taking it as hard as I am. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think of the new development this week that, uh, according to one public official at least, the weather is controlled by those of the Jewish faith? Yeah, who backed off of uh, what he said, but we've been blamed for everything else and too often for the weather also. So it's, um, you know, it's very disturbing that this is becoming a common mantra and the, the glibness with which people can make comments like that and not feel constrained and not automatically have their better judgment kick in that they wouldn't make an accusation like that. Uh, and I have to say a, a positive word, which I have not done on the air before, about Keith Ellison, the first Muslim member of Congress, but at least he disassociated himself publicly from Farrakhan and, of course, denied the associations, etc. But, the, right. you know, the the fact that seven members of Congress are pictured with him, a uh, blatant out-and-out anti-Semite, and uh, I expect that the others will find, um, including the one from the New York area, will find it necessary at least to, to if, if they didn't have a relationship, to say so. And um, Ellison said that. Um, but I, I'm troubled by the overall glibness with which today anti-Semitic, bigoted, racist statements can be made, then of course the apology, but the apology doesn't undo the damage that the accusation even one as ludicrous as that makes. Yeah, very good point. And by the way, I gotta give credit to Miriam Wallach for pointing this out to me. On an even bigger scale, the Global Forum for Combating Anti-Semitism was held this week, and there was criticism by at least one writer. Um, uh, Again, this is a common complaint, one that you have stated over and over over the years, and that is that, you know, quote-unquote right-wing anti-Semitism, especially political right-wing anti-Semitism, you know, was concentrated on during this conference, but when it comes to Muslim countries, when it comes to PA incitement, there was maybe one session, one mini-session that dealt with that entire topic of anti-Semitism. But there was one major address that did address it, and that was mine. I did speak at that conference at a major session together with Chief Ramway Britain and the Deputy Foreign Minister, and I spoke about that and the the need to look at left and right, that extremism is not important uh, which side it comes from, because ultimately when they go far enough, they look alike, and that uh, we can't look at one at the and not at uh, the totality of the picture, and uh, hopefully those, the speech will be online and people can 
listen to it and make their own judgment. You know, it's funny before you just revealed that that you were you know one of the keynotes. I was I was going to ask you if these uh, anti-Semitism conferences are simply a waste of time. I mean, quite obviously, you don't feel that's the case, but in this case, literally, your voice balanced out the whole thing. No, it didn't balance. It wasn't necessary to balance out the whole thing because there were many speakers. The opening night, um, Naftali Bennett, David Friedman, others uh, happened to be there, and, and Friedman got the e- email in response to an earlier statement he made where Abbas called him a son of a dog. Right. And, uh, you know, was, uh, the, the idea that that came while he was sitting in an anti-Semitism conference. That is funny. It was, uh, you know, the juxtaposition was serious. But I think that there were many speakers who took the issue seriously. There were many government ministers. I think there were, you know, a handful of the justice ministers and people who who uh, addressed uh, the issue and talked about the dangers of anti-Semitism. It is a growth industry, and I told people, if you want to invest, that's a good area because it's not going away. Yeah, that's for sure. And the, the, the you know, the concerns that were expe- expressed covered, you know, the, the all aspects, the political and media, the the and and the big issue of course is cyber hate which is so pervasive pervasive and unfortunately as we see almost unpreventable exactly no, no matter how much you, you no matter how much you block all the technologies all the right. abilities that they have but you know they can circumvent them and they find ways of uh, make you getting onto the internet and there are thousands and thousands and thousands of these websites that are anti-semitic and insightful and we know that this kind of incitement leads to violence and to hatred. And we see it in our own country, how many young people are, are affected by uh, things that they see online or, or yeah. indoctrinated by it. Yeah, and the point, of course, is that, you know, while Facebook and Twitter sit at the top of the industry, so they have no choice but to address it. There's, as you just said, thousands of others uh, that are out there doing, uh, you know, terrible things and spreading terrible hate that never get uh, never get checked, never get... Uh, um, uh, monitored, you know, by those. And, and, and Europe, of course, is worse. You know, in the United States, you still have that latest polls show 64% of the American people pro-Israel, 74% of adults. These are the highest numbers in 17 years and um, as high as, as they've been. Uh, and, of course, sympathy for the Palestinians remains constant. It's, it's uh, uh, about 15% or so or even less. So in Europe, the numbers would be vastly different. This is, um, you know, this is a, a, a positive indication. And of course, we see people like John Bolton coming into the government, and it's added to Nikki Haley and Pompeo and Pence and others who are profoundly pro-Israel and pro-Jewish. Uh, people who who have been outspoken in their support I think it's a. Um, yeah, we have to look at the positive side, too. I want to get back to Bolton in a second. One one quick thing about the earlier topic. He did try, or some one of his supporters, meaning Abbas, did try to walk back the Friedman insult, and I thought that ended up insulting him even more. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, they haven't proven to be very graceful at uh, handling these things. And, you know, it, and it goes, it fits into a, a, a pattern with Abbas and the the actions that he's taking now, you know, he's in his mid-80s. It's a long past time for him to step down and to to allow other leadership because he's, he's denying Palestinians the opportunity. He's refusing to engage in the process that Israel has initiated. He's at war with Gaza, talking about new sanctions against the, the people of Gaza. He's 
uh, alienated much of the Arab leadership by his uh, behavior, and I think it's a subject that MBS uh, of Saudi Arabia is discussing with the president. But they are equally frustrated by his uh, his attitudes and his willingness to flirt with um, very hostile and, and dangerous elements. Mm. All right, now tell us what you think of the uh, appointment of the new national security advisor, John Bolton. I think it just did. He's an old friend of mine. He's an amazing guy. He's, um, I, I think that he has, uh, he will bring uh, an important perspective. You don't have to agree with him on everything to recognize how smart he is, how his, his understanding of uh, international affairs. When he was ambassador at the UN, he was a terrific friend and outspoken, courageous in the style of Nikki Haley. So I think you're seeing a tremendous team on foreign policy issues being formed. Um, it's interesting that his name has been in the hopper really since November of 2016, since the election, since election night. And it took till now for him to join the administration. Did you think that this would be the position for him? Because there were people who thought he would be secretary of state, right? Wasn't he uh, Wasn't he touted for that at some point? Wasn't he on the short list at some point for secretary of state? Yes. And, and is it surprising to you that it took this long for him to get in? Like, why would it take this long for someone like that who seems like a natural for this administration? Uh, I don't really know. You know, this is the third national security advisor. We had expected him to be the first, right. or many people expected him to be the first. Some said because of his mustache he didn't get it, but I don't think that that was the inhibiting factor. I do think that the um, uh, that you know he had problems getting confirmed by the Senate when he was the UN ambassador and, and President Bush did it as a vacation appointment. Um, and so I think that uh, maybe there was some concern with that, uh, about mm. the ease with which he would get the confirmation. Mm. There are people who think that he will be Secretary of State if there's a second administration. But right now, uh, he will have a very important uh, job, and he will have the president's ear more than the secretary, in fact, I think, uh, Secretary of State does. Right. And, uh, I, 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 and when you have this kind of coherence in terms of attitude amongst the, at least the four, and uh, these are the key people in foreign policy, that will be uh, uh, very beneficial. Do you think it's my mustache that's preventing me from getting a cabinet position? Well, you have to have one like him in order to say that it's a prevention. Ah, but got it. Uh, now I understand at least. It could be <laughs> one of the factors. <laughs> uh, you know, it's good to have a variety of opinions out there, but I am a little surprised that some of the quote-unquote Jewish media or media coming out of Israel that are not that ha- – which are – it, to me, at least, those who read between the lines, it seems they're not that happy with the Bolton appointment. Well, there are people, you know, obviously, who have ideological differences with him and political differences with him. And, uh, you know, it was true in uh, other appointments in the Obama years, and it's, as it's been with every president, uh, when they make appointments, especially in a sensitive uh, job like this. And um, and Bolton is somebody who's very outspoken. He, he doesn't hide. He doesn't uh, use euphemisms. He says what he believes, and that obviously, you know, incites some people, yeah. anger right. some people. Before we get to the topic that everybody wants us to discuss this morning, let me ask you about Vladimir Putin. No surprise about his victory in Russia, I mean, there there are those who are accusing him of making sure any worthy opponent would not be able to get into the race. Uh, you know, I guess what we would call some type of election tampering. How do you evaluate what happened in Russia this week? 
still Russia, still Russia, and uh, but you know he had an overwhelming victory, something everybody expected. You, you have criticisms that he arrested the the um, some of the opposition. Uh, you know there was this controversy over his remarks about uh, who was responsible for the interference in U.S. election, and he said the Ukrainian Tartars, maybe Jews were behind it. It seemed to have been a facetious comment. And many, some people reacted and you know accused him of anti-Semitism. When in fact he has a very close relationship with the Jewish community there. That statement was not acceptable, and we still hope he will clarify. But some people there did, you know, make it clear that he was just throwing it out as a facetious comment. And the. Uh, um, you know, they've, they've arrested a lot of people that one can't say that there's a, a true democracy there right now. Oh, so that's my question. You're a political scientist. What is it? Is it based on the way this election went this week? Is it a totalitarian nation? Is it would you would you classify it as something less harsh than that? Like, what is it at this point? If essentially he controlled his own destiny, and was able to win in a quote unquote win in a landslide. Um, we call it Russia. That's the way it is there, huh? That's Simple it. as that. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. <clears throat> Excuse me. Around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com on the NahumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honeline is with us. I don't usually concentrate on your schedule in the middle of our conversation, but I do want to point out that the next time we'll speak will be Friday the 13th of April. Your intention, I think this is public information, I hope I'm not wrong, you will be with March of the Living this year? I will be. Uh, which, mean, which means you leave right after Pesach, year. correct? So I will be there in Poland uh, that Friday. Which means you leave right after Pesach? Um, a day or two after Pesach. And we and uh, will hopefully, as we've done in the past, we'll hopefully have an opportunity to speak with you that day, the 13th right. of April, from Poland itself. And that'll be... Hashem, we th- hope so. And you will join them as well as they head on to Israel from there? I will be going on to Israel for the 70th anniversary, <laughs> and we have some exciting people coming. We have various missions that will be in Israel during that week. So I think it'll be very exciting and we'll be happy to report to you even then, if God willing, if we get back in time. We are 26 days away from our Israel at 70 celebration. We are 26 days away. We're actually putting together our final plans for our celebration. It's going to be something big and huge, of course, on that Thursday, the 4th of ER this year. But something happened yesterday, Malcolm, I just want to point out uh, when we spoke with Dina Rabhan from Jerusalem U on the air from Israel yesterday, there are projects going on to use the Israel 70 as an opportunity to show appreciation for Israeli soldiers, those who have fallen, those who are injured, families have gone through what they've gone through because of those injuries and losses over all these decades. I think uh, in addition to me saying that it's 26 days away from Israel 70, I should also say it's 25 days away from Memorial Day 70. And I know Memorial Day goes way beyond that. You know, it starts officially with the count from the 1880s, but still it's extremely important as we celebrate Israel 70, we remember the day before is going to be Memorial Day 70 as well. So I just wanted to point that out, and I'm sure you wholeheartedly agree. And this November will be the 80th anniversary of Kristallnacht. So when people are thinking ahead, wow. it's a time for a lot of reflection. 70 years of Israel, 80 years since Kristallnacht. And what has happened in the interim? When you talk about anti-Semitism, you question about what does the world learn? When you see a 40% increase in anti-Semitic attacks in Holland, the 420 incidents that in Britain reported of, of terrorism, and only a third of those people ever really faced criminal charges. But the rise of anti-Semitism all over Europe, and again, it's on my mind so much because of the conference this week, right. 
but it's uh, it shows the world li- learns little, and therefore we have to learn, and especially to celebrate Israel 70 and to talk about the importance of having Israel today. I uh, appreciate that. Well said. All right, um, this week we learned from the Israeli perspective of what happened on September the 6th of 2007, uh, taking out the uh, the Syrian nuclear plant. Um, why now? Why are we now um, privy to this information, courtesy of the Israeli government, as opposed to any time in the last ten years? Well, maybe they feel that you know the, that the there's no secrets that are being revealed. Everybody knows that Israel did it, um, but the detail is surprising, and there are people in the military security area in Israel who, who do not appreciate the fact that it was uh, revealed. It may well have been a message to the Russians and Iranians to see that Israel's capability and that any thought of reestablishing such facilities or any facilities will that, that will come under uh, a similar attack if, if it threatens Israel's uh, security, as you have seen repeatedly over the last couple of years where Israel took out shipments on the way to Hezbollah or more advanced weapons and missiles. Uh, where they could uh, where they could do it, and now, you know, Israel has the F thirty five, the stealth bomber, and uh, the Iranians know that they have the range to go to Iran. Uh, the ones built for Israel have extra fuel capacity, uh, so perhaps this was uh, a shot across the bow to warn them about uh, about the possibility, and again to remind people, and especially as negotiations go on with North Korea, that that we have to take into account and we have to work to assure that North Korea doesn't establish itself. There are reports of shipments of weapons from North Korea into Syria and other efforts. Uh, Iran obviously is is building up its forces as 80,000 militia there, 60,000 of whom, by the way, were brought into the Iraqi army as as full-fledged soldiers and given uniforms. Um, so they're trying to legitimize these, uh, the, the people. But the uh, I, I think that that may have been part of the judgment of the account, uh, accounting that Israel made about allowing this information to come out. All right. Um, so this begs the, excuse me, this begs the obvious question. Let's say, for argument's sake, and you can, and you, and you will correct me if I'm wrong, because you know a lot more about this than any of us. If, for argument's sake, Iranian production is now, or at some point in the last couple of years, was much further along than what Syria was up to ten years ago, one would think, why wouldn't Israel have taken action and done the exact same thing in Iran? more complicated. Uh, we've discussed this over the years about m- what it would take to, to strike at Iran. Remember, they have the air defense systems. A lot of these facilities are underground. It means you'd have to have search and rescue capacity. It means that uh, you, you, you couldn't just do it by missiles. You would have to have um, fighters, uh, bombers go over uh, Iran. It's a, it's a longer distance. It, it is um, a complicated but not impossible um, uh, raid for for Israel to carry out, and that is why I made the reference earlier to the F thirty fives. It's not right. something that's off the drawing. Board. So it's not off the table, but it would be really, really difficult. It is complicated to do it. Iran has uh, missile defense, and uh, they they put in uh, the, one of the same systems near the Iraqi border, but it was really not for. It's a, it was really meant to be there to to uh, fend off it. Israeli attack um, or potential Israeli attack, and this is um, so it's clearly 
on their minds very much. By the way, was my premise correct that, that they in the last few years at times have been much further along than Syria was 10 years ago? In terms that of the Iranians? Yeah. Well, we know they have nuclear weapons. Right, much, much further. Facilities. They got the more and more advanced missiles all the time. And right, that's... The, that's... The, uh, you see that the British, French, and Germans now are trying to work feverishly to address the ballistic missile, the nuclear violations, other things, uh, in order to stave off a U.S. pullout, which I think now with Bolton in may become more likely, or the prospect more likely, because uh, I don't think they're going to reopen it, and I think in the end they won't cancel, but the pressure at least has forced the Europeans to try to come to terms. You know, they have tens of billions of dollars in deals with Iran that they don't want to see um, the sea lost or, or the forced to stop, because if if America pulls out, it means you can't do business with the U.S. if you're doing business with Iran. I get that. Um, but a minute ago, we established that the possibility of going into Iran and doing something similar is still on the table. If in fact, if they're that far along in Iran and Israel has never acted against them, should can't we really conclude that at this point, in in realistic terms, it really is off the table, and that Israel would not consider a strike like that because of its complication? Well, I think during the uh, Obama years, there was talk, and, and people indicated that the administration let Israel know that they would not assist and they would not um, support that kind of a move. Ah, uh, I American don't know that that will be the same circumstance. Got it. Now. Okay. Okay. That's the difference. You're right. American assistance. I didn't take that into consideration. Uh, do we know ultimately after this whole report who was responsible for calling for this action against Syria, if it was Ehud Olmert or Ehud Barak? <laughs> What I think is is discomforting is the uh, competition for credit rather than <laughs> focusing on the brilliance of the move, and um, it's really unseeming. And can you explain, and again, excuse my uh, naivete, I'm sure you've seen the videos, I'm sure you've watched some of the interviews with the pilots, etc. Can you explain how they got back? I mean, they, they go in, it's a surprise. I know that these guys know a lot more about this than I do. But th- then you have to leave Syrian airspace at some point. And, of course, the Syrians at that point know that they've been attacked in one way, shape, or form. How did they get back to Israel? Uh, well, they fly back. Uh, it could, you know, they do circuitous routes. They they come in across the Mediterranean. They came in uh, very low at times on some of the raids. I, I don't know. I don't know if we have the full story about how this was actually carried out. It could be that they went via a friendly country on the border of Iran or Syria. Right, understood. Operation was called Outside the Box, September the 6th of 2007. Very interesting. Um, on May 12th, uh, again, the president's going to have to figure out what to do regarding the Iran deal. If the Iran deal is not um, uh, re-upped, then, then, then U.S. sanctions against Iran either what escalate or actually get um you know actually get reinstated is that how it works well he would reinstate it but they are looking for new packages of sanctions to to impose on on uh, syria banking oil sector being primary targets but the um uh you know, it is complicated as an international agreement. So if the U.S. pulls out and Europeans stay in, what does that mean? Does it, do, do they continue to trade? Do they, you know, they have, as I said, tens of billions of dollars in deals at stake. Um, what What is Iran's reaction? Because then they'll say they're no longer bound by the deal and therefore can move ahead with, uh, and publicly with, uh, or openly with their nuclear weapons uh, progress. You know, a lot of people believe that they're actually still progressing now. 
and uh, the ballistic missile test, which is a separate thing. It's not part of the JCPOA, but it's, uh, there are bans to Security Council resolutions, and we clearly see that they're progressing on their missile capacity and spreading uh, you know, more guidance systems, some of the things, to Lebanon and to, I mean, to Hezbollah. And uh, they, they were building a base in Syria, which the Russians closed down, where they were going to store missiles to reach Israel. Wow. Air India flies to Israel over uh, Saudi Arabian airspace this week. How significant is this? Well, it's the first time, and it cuts, I think, more than two hours off the flight. And El Al is, of course, uh, anxiously awaiting for permission for it to do it. But it's, again, another uh, another notch. It, it is something I know for most people it would seem like uh, n- not as relevant as it, as it really is. And, um, you know, now MBS, um, Mohammed Salman, the son of King Salman of Saudi Arabia, is visiting here. He's going to be in the United States for a couple of weeks, uh, trying to, to – a listening tour, I was told, and also to, to present her case, um, a charm offensive of sorts, but also economic and other implications. But he's um, – you know, he's clearly matured as, as a leader. There are a lot of issues he has, what happens in the, the involvement with Yemen, this battle with Qatar, the, um, uh, but primarily it's about Iran, and that unites them in Israel. You know, it's, it's usually considered a courtesy that's extended, but none of the Arab countries extend it to Israel. But giving Air India this right, you know, is a step forward. Taylor Force Act looks like it will finally uh, pass this week in the Senate. Will it have any practical implications? I know that officially it's supposed to uh, make sure that the PA is not able to get any aid if they continue to uh, fund the uh, families of terrorists. Will this actually happen? Yes. This is a, uh, it looks like it's going to happen now as part of the $1.3 trillion appropriate omnibus appropriations bill. And it will cut U.S. economic aid to the PA uh, of, of the $200 million in direct aid. I think $125 million will be reduced, will be cut. Um, and that there will be the, the, the debate, and the reason it was delayed is that there was a fight over certain exemptions for hospitals, for vaccination programs for children, and I think water uh, waste, uh, water treatment, which Elliot Engel was pushing, so they reached a compromise on those things. And um, and so these these cuts will be made to, to because the PA is spending hundreds of millions of dollars in promoting terrorism and the murder of, of the Jews of Israelis, and Taylor Force was not Jewish, to, to I don't think there's another government in the world that does it in this way, where they pay everybody in prison, they pay the families, they, they buy houses, they give them lifetime pensions, they pay them much more than a Palestinian policeman gets. So you, you, you earn more by going to jail than by working. And the um, you know this, is, this has long been in, in the works, and thank God it looks like it's coming to fruition. Right, and the, the, you know, usually we ask how can it be enforced, but the truth is if the money's not available, then it's certainly one of the aspects of enforcing it. And they cut it off, and, right. and, and we're seeing other, even some European countries and, and groups have, have started to cut back again over this issue, and the, um, uh, you know, the, the, uh, some of the countries have cut off aid to Gaza now, and the uh, you know we're going to have this march on the border uh, of Gaza. I think it's for, for Land Day, but it's it's not the first time. <laughs> but this is a massive march of people that go towards the fence. Israel has developed all sorts of methodologies, including a drone that will fly over the border 
and try to stop the demonstrators before they come into a clash with Israelis so that people don't get killed. In that's, the, uh, that's the tear gas, tear but, gas drone? But that's right. These, these drones can fire tear, tear gas so that you try and stop them uh, as far away from the border as, uh, as possible, and they put up barbed wire and other things, um, uh, sniper posts that uh, will be there uh, along the border. And frankly, the visual there is... Uh that's right. It's much, much better than when the Israeli soldiers have to do it. Someone's alerting me to the fact that there's a terror situation right now in Paris. I don't know what the uh, headline is. We'll try to dig it out in the next couple of minutes before we conclude our conversation. The um, the Dead Sea Scrolls, did you see that they are now the sub? They are possibly the subject of a UNESCO statement about whether they, in fact, are part of Jewish tradition or not? Yes, and a lawsuit uh, that the Palestinians brought. And this is a long-term claim that you know that it belongs to them. First of all, they should go after the guys who stole many of the Dead Sea Scrolls over the years and sold them on black markets. Uh, Arabs who raided these sites as they continue to do against other sites. But the outrageous behavior of UNESCO and the uh, fact that it's become a platform for denying Jew- Judaism and Christianity as legitimacy. Uh, as you know, I've, I've been probably the most outspoken about it from the beginning on this, trying to warn people about what the implications of this are. Mm-hmm. And I spoke about it this week at the World Conference. People take it too lightly. They don't understand. And there were many diplomats there as well that, that uh, I, you know, I confronted the French foreign minister once after they voted for the resolution. And I asked them, what are you going to tell your grandchildren? Ooh. When they are denied access to places holy to their tradition, to your tradition, Mm. because you didn't vote against this resolution, which denies 2,000 years of Christian history, let alone 3,800 years of Jewish history. Unbelievable. And he turned to me and he said, I have to think about that. Yeah, he certainly does. But the problem is that they're still all supporting these these outrageous resolutions. And um, I hope that uh, that some of it can be reversed. But people dismiss it. They don't take it seriously. As you know, how long, how many times I've spoken uh, about it, uh, in, in about this on your show. And uh, that the U.N. is still a hotbed of bias against uh, Jews, against Israel. And that the statements are made there, things are done there that they would never tolerate in regard to other countries. And having Human Rights Council continue their one-sided slams against Israel. You know, we, there's a group here called the Good, uh, talking about the Good Neighbor Program of the thousands and thousands of Syrians that Israel treated in their hospitals. But even more, the continuing program that Israel building two clinics in Syria that they that they sent hundreds and hundreds of tons. I mean, 360. Uh, tons of food into into Syria in, in 2016-17. And it's an ongoing program. The um, mountains of clothes, of other things, and how they're treating people inside Syria, um, along the border areas, people who, who hate Israel, see Israel as the great devil, who, who talk about it as the Satan, and their lives are being saved. I haven't seen one UN resolution about that. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's it's just and then they condemn Israel when when look what what Hamas is doing to their own people look what Abbas and, and Hamas fighting each other in in Gaza when the people are are suffering because of it and Abbas is talking about more sanctions against them because of the political fight between them and, and the world condemns Israel which is opening the border letting food in helping 
it, it's, it is so outrageous, and it shows the irrationality of this hatred, but the consequences remain serious. Yeah, and when we sit down to the Seder, we have to remember that hatred and how it's... Hold our vador. That's right. A man holding hostages in a supermarket in southwestern France has claimed allegiance to Islamic State. Europe One Radio also said an individual was holding hostages in the supermarket. The mayor of the town where the hostage taker held several people in the supermarket told LCI TV the man entered the shop screaming, Allahu Akbar, I'll kill you all. Uh, t- uh, the news said the uh, hostage taker was now alone with one police officer in the supermarket. All other hostages have been freed. And there were uh, two victims at the supermarket. Earlier, France's interior minister had said security officials were carrying out an operation at a supermarket in the town of Tribis in southern France, but gave no details. This is from the Jerusalem Post. And apparently there are victims in this attack. And uh, what is there to say? As Based on what you just told us, none of this is a surprise. Exactly. And that is the latest news. Uh, I thank you. We wish you a Chag Kasher V'Sameach. Look forward to speaking to you when you're in Eastern Europe on the 13th of April. And I thank you very much. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Thank you. Chag Kasher V'Sameach to everyone. And talk to your families at the Seder about the contemporary relevance. It's like the, the Mitzvah of Megillah Sesta, that if you don't think about it in its contemporary context, not just the historic document, when we talk about... The Seder has so many lessons for us about today and about the anti-Semitism, about what the importance of internal unity and external unity is, and the steps that we have to take. That that Paro was the first BDSer when he said, Hava Nisrach Malone. He didn't say the Jews did anything wrong. He just said, we have to deal shrewdly with them. They're growing. They're contributing. Learn the lessons. The first BDSer. That's a great one. Thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. There he is, Malcolm Holmline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Circle your calendar. Friday, the 13th of April, will be our next weekly update. Malcolm planning on being in Eastern Europe on his way from March to Living to Jerusalem. Israel 70 is 26 days away. Memorial Day, 25 days away. As we remember those who have given their lives, uh, life and limb, frankly. Uh, for the uh, state of Israel over these 70-plus years, all the years before the founding of the state as well. 